the simplest explanation for closing is the ownership of the property that's under contract is being moved from the seller to the buyer. Buying a home is exciting, but the process can be overwhelming. Trying to understand all of the paperwork, financing, and what you need to do can be stressful. Without knowing what you're doing or where things stand, it's hard to move forward. Or worse, you could make a mistake that costs you thousands of dollars. That's where the Get Me Ready to Buy podcast, hosted by Jeff Jones, comes in. Jeff is a realtor, coach, and entrepreneur. He helps take the guesswork out of home buying by providing you with the details, resources, and professionals that make the process easier to understand so you can successfully buy your next home with confidence. Now here's Jeff. Hey, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Get Me Ready to Buy podcast. This is the podcast that you can listen to wherever you get podcasts or watch on the Get Me Ready to Buy YouTube channel. It helps you as the buyer get ready to buy your home. You'll hear us talk about things such as partner with professionals, plan the money, pick your place, persevere through clothes, possess your home, and protect your home. Now, on today's episode, we're going to talk about persevere through clothes. We're going to hear all about what is a closing, how long does it take, what's involved, what about money, all those different things. This episode also happens to be airing on the Get Me Ready to Sell podcast because as a buyer, you need to know what's going to be expected of you during the closing, but it also affects the sellers. You both need to know the same information. It's slightly a little bit different. However, you both experience it either as the recipient of what's going on or as the person or the entity that made it happen. So let's dive right into this episode and learn all about the closing. Okay, so what is the close? You hear all about that in the real estate industry, uh, that we need to get your house closed or we need to get this loan closed or um, what all is happening in this process of you being able to either sell or buy your home. So let's figure out what's involved in the closing. The simplest explanation for closing is the ownership of the property that's under contract is being moved from the seller to the buyer. That's ultimately what happens is the seller's trying to sell property, the buyer wants to buy the property, and the closing makes that happen. So the closing moves possession from the seller to the buyer. Now, if you Google the closing process, you're likely to find this link to Investopedia that says there are 12 steps to the closing process. I've got a link in the show notes that you can actually go and read a little bit more information about this if you want to. Uh, but let me say up front, some of these steps apply uh, to some regions of the country. Uh, the, every region is a little bit different. The East Coast is a little bit different than the Midwest, and the Midwest is a little bit different than the West Coast. So some of these may or may not apply to you wherever you are. But if you're partnering with a professional, with a real estate professional, with a closing attorney, a real estate attorney, or a title company, or a lender, those professionals should help you understand the specifics of the closing process where you are. Uh, you may hear terms such as escrow, which Investopedia says is the very first step, and that's to open an escrow account. An escrow account, in simplest terms, holds money from one party for another party. It's an independent holding of that, 
if you're selling a home and you're paying into your monthly mortgage payment into escrow, the taxes and insurance, your mortgage company is collecting one twelfth of the taxes due and one twelfth of the insurance, the property insurance, homeowners insurance, so that at the end of the year, they have all 12 months worth and can pay it on your behalf. It's not their money, it's your money, but they're holding it for you so that you're not paying the full bill at one time. They want to make sure the taxes get paid and the insurance gets paid so that you're able to maintain possession of the property and it doesn't put their loan in jeopardy because you didn't pay taxes or you didn't pay homeowners insurance and there was damage. Well, you hear about that in escrow. In the selling process, the closing process, some areas of the country use an escrow account to hold the monies from the buyer, the earnest money, any down payment money, all of that stuff. They use that and it's held over a period of time to get things to close. The market I happen to be in, we don't technically use an escrow account. That's why I said that it depends on where you are and the professionals that you're working with should help you navigate what all of that looks like. Uh, where I close predominantly, the listing the listing brokerage can hold the earnest may be able to hold the earnest money. The buyer's agent may be able to hold the earnest money. The closing attorney may be able to hold the earnest money. If it's new construction, the um, the builder may hold the earnest money. It just depends on where you're at as to whether or not you're going to have an escrow account that you need to open. However, the monies that would go into that need to go somewhere eventually. Uh, so again, work with your professional in your market to determine what's needed there. Now let's get a little bit further into this because the second thing Investopedia says is title search and insurance. Now, what is a title search? A title search looks at all of the um, government records that can be found, public records that can be found to, to make sure that the seller actually is the owner of the property and has a legal right to sell the property. They're going to do their best to investigate all of that. So they're doing that title search to determine that the seller actually owns the property and can sell the property. That's typically paid for by the seller. Again, depending on your part of the country and what's negotiated in the contract. The other part of that is title insurance, and it is what it says it is. If they're just like uh, auto insurance or homeowners insurance, if da there's damage, insurance kicks in so that the owner is not out all of that money. A buyer of a property wants to get title insurance because what if something in the title search was missed? And sometime down the road, two, three, five, ten years later, uh, Joe Bob shows up and says, hey, my great grandfather, when he sold his property, uh, my dad's uh, had been had already uh, passed away and all of his heirs didn't sign off on uh, giving up their right to the property. So guess what? I have right to claim this property. Title search didn't discover that but title insurance should protect the current owner from them having a claim to the property. The title company is going to come in and they're going to work with the person making the claim to make things right. So it doesn't disturb the current owner from owning that property. You want insurance, uh, the mortgage company, if there is a loan on the property, uh, may have their own insurance. They may require the buyer to pay for that as well. 
the buyer should have their own, I would recommend, I'm not a lawyer, but I would recommend that the buyer would have their own policy to protect them. It's okay to protect the mortgage company, uh, but is that going to protect you? That title insurance should protect you. Have a conversation with your real estate agent. Have a conversation with the title company, your closing attorney, to discover what you need to do in relationship to title search and title insurance to know exactly how it applies to you. Number three, according to Investopedia, is hire an attorney. And that attorney uh, may work independent of a closing comp a title company or a closing company, or they may be part of it. Um, in our area where I, where I serve, where I'm a licensed real estate agent, we typically will use title companies to handle the closings for us. The title companies that I'm aware of either are run by attorneys or have an attorney working with them so that it's looked at. You don't have to use a title company. Sometimes when we've done, when I've been a part of new construction, it's a, an attorney who handles that and they handle the, the closing and the, all that transaction and they'll do their own things. But in some markets, you may hear a title company or a title and escrow company that does that. Again, the professionals you partner with can help you navigate what that looks like. But uh, you can't just sign a piece of paper. You know, if you're selling a car, you can sign the title, the back of the title and give them the keys and give them the title and you're done. Can't do that for a house, for a property, because there's a lot more legal things involved in it. And you really want to make sure that you own it if you're buying it and that you own it if you're in the process of selling it. You don't need any surprises coming up later on. So if you don't have a title company involved, uh, then you need to have an attorney involved. And if a title company is involved, make sure there's an attorney to make sure it is all correct. Number four, according to Investopedia, is negotiate closing costs. Now, in my market, that's all handled when the offer is made. If the buyer is asking the seller to help pay some of the buyer's closing costs, that could be a dollar amount, $4,000, $5,000. It could be specific things that the buyer is going to ask the seller to pay for the um, title insurance, not just the search, but the insurance, uh, going to pay for closing fees for the closing attorneys, whatever that may be. Whatever is negotiated in the offer to purchase contract is what happens. In some markets, that may be negotiated in this process, but typically from me, it's handled during the offer phase and not once you get that offer in. Once a seller has accepted an offer from a buyer, it's going to be hard for that buyer to get more money out of them unless there is some problems. And that's going to be number five. Number five is to complete the home inspection. More than likely, your offer to purchase has in it a time period that allows the buyer to have a variety of inspections done on the property. That can be an engineer's report, a home inspector's report, a roof report, whatever that may be. You get the, the buyer has that amount of time to get a home inspection done. And if the home inspection uh, reveals any issues that weren't already known or maybe worse than they were known, then the buyer may want the seller to make some repairs, make some adjustments. They'll go through the process of offering up a, a document that says, hey, here's some repairs we would like to, to have the, the buyer and the seller to make on the property. If they make all those, then we'll move forward and close on the property. 
or maybe they're going to walk away because of that. A buyer may walk away and go, no, nope, that's that's more than I wanted. Or the seller may say, no, I'm not going to repair any of those things. So when you're going to complete that home inspection, you're going to get uh, items that you may want repaired or at least know going into it. This may be some things that the new owner may need to work on. Now, number six is get a pest inspection. Uh, in my area, that's typically a wood destroying insect, or we call that termites. They're not the only wood destroying insects, but a pest report that could be uh, rodents. It could be whatever it is, but you might have that built into the offer to get that pest inspection. And if there is damage, if there's a problem, then you negotiate with the seller, the, the buyer and the seller negotiate how that's going to be handled. Either the seller gets it done or it is a reduced price, whatever that may be which is goes to number seven, and that's renegotiate the offer. If anything during the home inspection or the pest inspection shows up that the buyer now is concerned about purchasing the property, they can go back to the seller and say, hey, we found these issues. We need these rotted boards replaced. Uh, we need this aspect of the roof uh, repaired, whatever it may be the whole deal can now be renegotiated. It, then the, the sales price can be renegotiated, or at least in my market. Clarify that where you are, but pretty much if it comes up, you can renegotiate that offer for the buyer to ask the seller to do more things, spend some money, give some money back, reduce the sales price, whatever, extend the date to close, all of those things. The offer can end up being renegotiated. Now, one of the things that's not in this uh, closing uh, from Investopedia is once the appraisal comes back, if there is a loan or even if it's cash, if the buyer requested that an appraisal be done on the property and the property does not appraise for the price that they agreed to sell it for, the buyer can come back and ask the seller to reduce the price. Seller doesn't have to, but you're renegotiating. So that renegotiation could be around the appraised value of the property or any of the inspections that were done if there were items that came up that the buyer would like the seller to fix. All that's renegotiated. Now, number seven, actually number eight, if you are a buyer, this number eight is for you, and that's lock in your interest rate. You may have locked in your interest rate a little earlier, but typically they have a time frame to lock in the rate, 30 days, maybe 40 or 45 days, whatever your lender says that is. So you may not have locked that rate in as soon as you made the offer or got an accepted offer on the property, but a buyer needs to lock in the interest rate so that they can plan what that actual payment is going to be. Uh, now, if you're a seller, this could get a little tricky if the interest rates went up significantly during the process before the buyer got the rates locked in. That could may actually price them out of being able to afford this property. So have uh, if you're the, the, the seller, make sure that your listing agent is staying on top of the buyer getting their stuff done so that their rates locked in. All the inspections happen. All that stuff goes uh, smoothly so that you can get to the actual closing time and transfer possession of the property. Uh, number nine is remove contingencies. Now, what do we mean by contingencies? Well, if that offer said that you had 10 days, that the buyer had 10 days to complete a home inspection, then 
the completion of the sales, the purchase of the property is contingent on that inspection being done and the buyer and the seller working through any issues that come from it. If you've gotten to day 11 or day 12 and the contract called for 10 days, then the buyer could still go ahead and get an inspection if they wanted to, but it wouldn't have any bearing on the contract. They missed their time frame for getting that inspection done. Um, so removing the contingencies, you're going to remove the home inspection contingency. Once that inspection is completed, at least in my market, if I'm representing the buyer, we're going to send the seller a document that says, hey, we've done our home inspection. We're good. Let's move on to close. However, we've done our home inspection and we're not happy. We found some things we don't like. Uh, we're going to terminate this deal and get our earnest money back. Our third option in my market is going to be that we found we did the home inspection and we found several things, uh, issues that we want corrected. And here are the three things that if you will do, Mr. Seller, then we'll continue to move on to a close. And if the seller signs that and agrees to it or makes a counter offer back that says, hey, we'll do two of those three things, but you reach an agreement, you've effectively removed the, the inspection contingency. You've made a plan, you're moving forward, that, that contingency is gone. There could be another contingency that a buyer has, and that is if they have a home to sell of their own. If they have a home to sell of their own, they're not going to be able to get the loan to qualify or to purchase a property if their home doesn't sell. So they're more than likely going to make an offer that says, hey, we want to buy your home, but it's contingent on us getting our home sold. Uh, have your professional real estate agent work with you on what that looks like, either as a seller or a buyer about that contingency. But during this process, that contingency is going to be removed. Uh, either at the request of the seller or the buyer, or the deal falls apart because the buyer could not remove that contingency. But you're going to remove those contingencies uh, and also the, the repair contingency, the inspection contingencies, all those things are going to get removed. Hey, thank you for hanging with the Get Me Ready to Buy podcast so far. You need to know how ready you are to buy a home, so get your score at readytobuyscore.com. You'll pick a few statements, get an email telling you what your score is and what you need to focus on to get ready to buy a home. If I can help you in my market, which is the Mid-South, the Memphis metro area, please let me know. If you're in another market, I've got agents all over the country and in a few countries around the world. Reach out to me and I'll connect you with one of our agents who can help you get your home bought wherever you are. Now, back to the show. Number 10 is to meet your funding objectives and the requirements that you have. This is particularly for the buyer. Now, what do we mean by the funding requirements? Well, you're going to have down payment on the property. And that down payment is considered, we talk about that all in closing costs. It's closing costs, prepaids, and down payments. But when we say closing costs, it's how much money are you going to need to bring either to fund the escrow account or to bring to the closing when you sign the papers. And that's when we talk about closing costs kind of as a general term. It represents the down payment, and that could be three, three and a half, more percent, whatever it is you agree to. That money may come from the lender. Some of that could come from the seller. Uh, just depends on whether that's all brought to the table, the closing table by the buyer, or it comes through some other place. But that's part of the closing costs. So you have uh, your down payment. Uh, you're also going to have uh, the attorney fees or the title closing fees. 
there's going to be a notary fee. If you uh, aren't closing locally at the title company and they're not able to do it online, you may end up having what we in my market call a remote closing where a notary public brings all the documents to the buyer or to the seller and they sign in front of that uh, notary uh, in a remote way. And so that remote closing, there's going to be fees that are going to go to the notary for them to come and do that work. With the technology changing, there's more of that moving online. However, some of the government entities or the lenders may not allow for those closings to actually happen online. They need a called a wet signature and somebody actually watching it and not just watching on a screen or signing electronically. You may have signed many of the documents electronically throughout the whole process, but not the final closing documents. Again, that's going to depend on where you are in the country and what's acceptable practice in your region. Your professional that you're dealing with, that you partner with, can help you with that. Uh, you're likely also going to be uh, prepaying taxes for the amount of time that you either owned the property this year or that you're going to own the property. You're going to pay all that at closing or it's going to come out of your closing uh, fee, closing money if you're the seller because they're going to want to make sure all the taxes get paid. If you're the buyer, you're going to be prepaying probably a whole year's worth of insurance so that they have homeowner's insurance for a year and a few months up front that goes into that escrow account you're going to have with your lender. Uh, you're, there's going to be recording fees, maybe, maybe title tax uh, transfer fees. Uh, one of the markets I serve in has an extra transfer fee. Another market I serve in doesn't have that. So it just depends on where you're located if you're going to have those. Uh, your lender, if you're borrowing money as a buyer, going to have loan origination fees. And instead of having to pay all these little bitty fees up front or buying down your rate could be a fee. Instead of all those up front, it's all kind of pooled together uh, in this process of what we call closing funds. That could be anywhere from 2 to 7% of the entire purchase price of the property. Be prepared for that. So those are going to have to all show up at the close to make all that happen. So the time that the offer is under contract and it's been accepted to the time you get to the closing table, the buyer needs to be getting those funds together. A seller may also need to get funds put together. I recently sold clothes on a property where I represented the seller. They had not lived in the property long enough to see the value of the property appreciate enough to cover all their closing costs. They had to bring almost $1,000 to the closing table to get everything closed. Primarily, that was the amount of taxes that they were going to have to prepay for the amount of the time during the year that they owned the property. They had to bring that to the closing table. However, when the mortgage is all settled and completely paid off, the escrow account that the mortgage company has been collecting taxes and insurance for the year is going to have money they're going to refund. Eventually, the seller is going to get back what they brought to the closing table plus some but they still had to have that cash to come and bring to close. And if they're cash tight, uh, that may be difficult. If you happen to be in a great situation as a seller to where you have a lot of equity in the home and you're having to prepay some of those things, they're just going to, the closer, the closing attorney or the title company that's closing is just going to keep those monies out of what they're actually going to be giving back to you 
uh, and then it's all settled that way. You don't have to bring any money to the table. But sellers, sometimes you got to bring money to the table. Buyers, sometimes you got to bring money to the table. I did have one closing where um, this was before COVID and before we had this, actually it was during COVID, but it was before we had this crazy thing happen in the market that we've had happen the last couple of years. And that was where uh, my buyers uh, gave earnest money to the seller. And at the end of the closing, the buyers didn't have to bring any money because the seller actually helped to pay some of their closing costs. They got a loan that paid 100% of their closing costs. And they actually walked away with a check that was a refund of all their earnest money. They got money when they left. So buyers, you may not have to bring any money to the closing table. Sellers, you may have to bring money to the closing table. Just be prepared for what that is. And that professional that you're partnering with, the agent, the lender, the attorney, the title company will all tell you that up front. Now, the lenders are required to give a buyer an amount of, of, of some paperwork, uh, two, three, I think it's three days ahead of the close that indicates what they're actually going to have to bring to the closing table. So sometimes there gets a sticky situation where things weren't done in time, repairs weren't made, uh, things weren't ordered, whatever it may be, that might cause a delay in the closing because the lender wasn't able to get everything ready and tell the buyer that they had a clear to close and send them all the paperwork to make sure uh, they knew that. It's federal lending requirements that could end up putting a delay in the close. Um, so we'll talk about that when we wrap up these, finish these 12 things. Number 11 is the final walkthrough. A uh, buyer is going to have an opportunity to do a final walkthrough the day of close, a day before, two, three days before. Again, whatever's in the contract, whatever the buyer and the seller agree to. Uh, but the buyer is going to have an opportunity to do a final walkthrough to make sure that the seller is leaving the home in the condition that it should be in. Uh, if items were supposed to be left, they were left. If it was supposed to be cleaned out, it was cleaned out. Uh, there's no uh, more damage to the property with holes in the walls. And I don't mean the little nail holes that come from pictures, uh, but then the process of moving, things didn't get damaged in the home. Uh, the buyer's going to want to make sure all that. And you need to make sure if you're a seller that utilities are still on. I recently had a closing and the, the seller jumped the gun and said, hey, I've got all the utilities turned off. Well, fortunately, that wasn't the case. They were scheduled to be turned off on the day of the day that the seller was closing, but the buyer wasn't actually signing until the next day. So we were able to get all that fixed and delayed in anyway. So make sure that, you know, you've asked your agent that you're working with when you can turn utilities off. If you're the seller, uh, if you're the buyer, you're going to get all that information at the closing or just before Sometimes you might not be able to put utilities in your name without some of the documents you get at the closing table. But regardless of all that, the final walkthrough utilities need to be on so that the buyer is able to inspect everything and make sure it all works. And number 12, finally, is sign the paperwork. Woohoo! You've gotten to closing day. You've shown up at the title company. You've shown up at the lawyer's office. The, the, notary, public had, the notary public has shown up where you are to help you sign all the paperwork. Now, sellers, you have less paperwork to sign than a buyer does, especially if the buyer is getting a loan. The buyer is getting a loan. You're also, the buyer is also going to be signing the promissory notes and all these things that the lender is going to need back. 
instead of just saying, yes, I'm buying the property, give it to me, where the seller just says, hey, yes, I'm selling it, you know, here it is. Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, but you only have uh, less paperwork to sign. When I'm working with buyers, uh, we typically are going to allow anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. It's more likely going to be about 45 minutes to get everything signed. If I'm working with sellers. Uh, typically, we can sign everything in about 20 minutes. Uh, but the professional that you partner with is able should help you know exactly how much time you need to plan out to be there. So let's talk about what happens once all the paperwork is signed. Once all the paperwork is signed, in some markets, in my market, typically the buyer signs with their own attorney or closing, closing title company, and the seller signs with their own attorney or title closing company. And then those two entities have to swap documents. Uh, the buyers and sellers are going to sign, in some cases, multiple copies of the same documents so that each side has an original signed uh, document and not a copy of it. They'll swap those documents. Each side, the, the, set, the buyer will then, the buyer's side will look at all those documents to make sure they're correct. And then they will say, hey, we have everything done. The seller signed everything right. We have it all. And they'll contact the lender and say, okay, we're ready to fund this. The lender will then send money to pay off the seller's mortgage if there's a mortgage on it then they'll send the balance to whoever the closer is for the seller. That closer will then process those funds to give to the seller, either a direct deposit into their account, a check for them, whatever it may be, if they're getting some money out of that. So once all the documents are signed and they're swapped and funding takes place, then each side calls their, uh, their party and says, hey, Mr. Buyer, we funded. The house is yours. Hey, Mr. Seller, we funded. Check your account for your money. And then keys get to swap hands. The buyer gets the keys. They get to go move in. And then that's when they get to possess or own or occupy, if they're going to live in it, this property. Now, one caution, if you've heard a previous episode, is that there are some potential problems where uh, there was one in particular where uh, a co-signer for a buyer lost their job and on the way to the courthouse to uh, record the deed to the property that it was transferred to a new owner, the lender happened to do a check and discovered that one of the co-signers no longer was employed. That undid the entire deal. The seller, the buyer had already moved in, the seller had already moved out, but the funding fell through. So it, it's not, hopefully not likely to happen on your deal, but there could be something down the road that causes a problem with that deal just before everything is all settled, even though you think it may be. We're going to assume everything worked great. I'm not trying to do this to scare you, but just to say if it happens to you or somebody you know, you can say, I heard about that. Yeah, that's that's happened before. You're not the only one that that's happened to. Hopefully it never happens to you. I don't personally know anyone that it's ever happened to, but it could. Just be prepared for that. Another caution, if you're a buyer, don't have movers ready to move your things in when you sign the paperwork. 
You can't walk out from signing the paperwork and tell the movers, hey, let's go move in. Because until the documents are swapped, until it's funded, you don't have possession. Unless there is a pre-possession document that's been handled in this, where the seller is giving you the opportunity to occupy the property before you actually, before it's all actually funded. Talk to your attorney, your title company closer, your real estate agent about that and the dangers of that if you move in before it all funds. I'm not going to go into that now, but just know that you were warned to be cautious about moving in before it's fully funded. Uh, wait until you know for sure it's funded. And, and what happens here is, let's say that one party is closing late in the day. Uh, it's a Monday afternoon. The seller couldn't get off work. They showed up to close at four o'clock. The banking uh, industry isn't working usually typically that late. And it might even be Tuesday morning before the seller's side was able to get the document swapped because they signed so late. It's likely not going to fund until Tuesday. If you're closing on a Friday and you're planning to move in, uh, buyer, you're planning to move in on a Saturday or seller, you're buying another property and you need this to close um, and fund. If you don't close until Friday, it's possible nobody could have possession. The new buyer couldn't have possession of the property until Monday. And seller, if you're buying another property, you're not actually going to be able to do that because all of the ripple effect of the money moving from place to place to get funded doesn't let you get your new property bought until then. Uh, I try to stay away from closings on Fridays and I try to stay away from closings late in the day if they're trying to get possession. If we're closing on a Wednesday afternoon and they want to move in that weekend, that's probably going to be perfectly fine. Uh, typically, maybe even uh, both closing early in the morning. If both closing early in the morning and the title companies or the attorneys are on it and the documents can get swapped, it's possible it could be funded by that afternoon. It's possible to have keys by the end of the day if you're closing that morning uh, and you're able to move on to do your other stuff. However, make sure you've talked with the professionals that you're working with so that you know those plans. Don't assume that your closing day is on a certain day and that means that you're going to be moving into that house that day or that you're actually going to be able to close on a new property if you're the seller and you're buying something else. I hope this episode has been helpful for you to help you understand the closing process. Uh, oh, one thing I forgot to tell you earlier, how long does all this take? Well, it depends on your market. In my market, it's typically anywhere from 30 to 45 days, and that's kind of the norm. However, in some areas that will use these escrows, there could be days after everything is signed before everything is swapped. It might not happen that afternoon or the very next day. Again, Talk to your professional about that, but just know from the time that you get an accepted contract to purchase property or to sell property, uh, it's going to be 30 to 45 days before you're signing all of the paperwork that makes it final. And then however long it takes to fund is what it takes before possession is actually able to be granted to the new owner of the property, unless there's already been an agreement to it. I say all that because... There can be exceptions to everything, depending on what everybody has agreed to that's legally recorded in a document uh, that you can move forward with. Again, I hope all this has been helpful to you. 
And if you don't have a partner that you're a professional that you're partnering with in your market, reach out to me. I'll help you find somebody where you are who can help you navigate either selling or buying. Have a blessed day. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me today on the Get Me Ready to Buy podcast. Hopefully you found all this information helpful to you and it's made a little more sense out of what it takes to actually buy a home and you feel a little bit more confident about your home buying process. Now, again, as I shared in earlier, if I can help you buy a home in the Mid-South or find you an agent wherever you are, just reach out to me at midsouth.homes or whatever link is here on this podcast or uh, down below in the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on a podcast, I just mentioned the YouTube channel. There is a Get Me Ready to Buy YouTube channel where you can actually watch the podcast if you'd rather do that. If you're watching this on YouTube and you'd rather listen to it, you can find the link to GetMeReadyToBuy.com and you'll find where you can listen to all the podcasts wherever you get podcasts. I hope that you'll also rate and review the show. There's a link here in the notes, in the show notes or here where you can review the show and rate it so that others who are looking to buy a home just like you can find it, especially if you found it helpful. And I would love a five-star review if this has been helpful to you. The other thing you can do is remember to get your score at readytobuyscore.com. And as always, hit the subscribe button so that you are the first to find out the latest information about what it takes for you to be ready to buy a home. Have a blessed day.